Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Tuesday, March the 14th, 2023, and I am delighted to be with you this morning. I wonder, how are you adjusting to the time change? I hope you're adjusting very well, and I hope that this finds you doing very well, no matter when it is. Maybe it's the morning, afternoon, evening, or maybe it's March 14th, uh, 2024. It's Pi Day, you know. 3.14. Um, sadly, I'm not doing carbohydrates or sugar right now, so no pie for me except maybe humble. Um, anyway, maybe you'll have a slice. If you go to the Waffle House, all right, insider tip here, you know that they have pecan pie, but don't just order a slice of pecan pie. Tell them you want it heated and buttered. All right, just trust me on this. They'll put it on the griddle. They'll dump a bunch of butter on top of it. They'll put the lid on top and then the butter. I know it's a cardiovascular delight, but still just, just trust me on that. Anyway, it is, uh, it's good to be back with you and I hope you have a good pie day or whatever day it happens to be when you find this. Um, Y'all, where we come to today, we started it yesterday, but where we come to today is one of those pivotal moments in, in God's word. Now, Understand me. Y'all should know this by now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the caveat anyway, because I don't know who's watching this. This may be your first time around. I'm not saying that there's this hierarchy of importance of God's word. It's all God's word. Okay, so understand that. I'm not saying this passage is more important. What I'm talking about is church history here. I'm talking about the development of God's people. And there are a few key moments that ought to come to mind as major fundamental moments in the history of how God has worked out his grand redemptive plan, right? Creation, the fall, the flood, um, when Israel asked for a king, when Saul um, it, 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 it loses favor in God's eyes, and another king is chosen. I mean, we can go down the list. Um, Jerusalem's destruction in 586 BC, obviously Jesus being born, right? Um, and then you have multiple events in Jesus, his, uh, Jesus' ministry culminating in his crucifixion and his resurrection, which Easter is uh, just a few weeks away. But nevertheless, among those key pivotal moments in all of the history of God's grand redemptive plan, Acts chapter 2 certainly is one of them and an extremely important one. Because it's in Acts chapter 2, in this sermon, because that's what we're reading here, we're reading Peter's great sermon at Pentecost. This pivotal moment is where we see a transition point from a very few people. Remember, we started out Acts less than 100 people, right? I believe it was less than 100 people. My brain is, uh, yeah, in those days, Acts 115, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. So 120 people, you got the apostles. And at this moment, right, this moment that we're reading about today, this is when you see the church start to develop and the people flood in. And it started started with the Holy Spirit, obviously, the apostles receiving the Holy Spirit. We've read about that, but it's a sermon. It's the word of God that always transforms. Now, let's talk about what we have discussed thus far, and then I'll pray and we'll dig into the new stuff. Um, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, what we talked about yesterday, you, you find Peter, right? Peter is the one that stands up and he addresses the crowd. He says, fellow Jews and everybody in Jerusalem, you think these men are drunk? They're not. 
It's only nine o'clock in the morning. And then Peter begins to quote scripture. He quotes Joel, in fact, and culminating in, in not only talking about the day of the Lord that is coming, but is already there, right there at that time. Verse 21, he quotes, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is Peter's preface, right? That is his lead in to what he's about to say. And what he's about to say is of vast importance. So let me pray and then we'll dig in. Our Father, what a blessed time this is that you've given to us. I praise you for it. And I pray that you would guide us in it as we come to this pivotal moment in your grand redemptive plan. Let us see what you would have us to see. Guide us now when we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Now, Acts chapter 2, verse 22 is where we're picking up. Again, he's just said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, quoting Joel. And in verse 22, he says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. It's fascinating. Pause right there for a moment. It's fascinating where Peter starts. Peter starts with Jesus being a man, being 100% human, but a human that is credited, accredited by God through miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you. So Peter's got this kind of double talk thing going on there, but in, in, a, in a good way, because it, it you, you can't, you can't help but have that when it comes to Jesus, because he starts with the fact that he's a man. But then Peter affirms that though Jesus is doing it and he's a man, God is doing it. So you've got this combination of fully man, fully God. That is where Peter starts. Why? Well, I don't really know. I think that part of this comes down to showing that Jesus is different than everybody else. You know, remember where Peter is as he preaches this sermon. He's in Jerusalem, the same Jerusalem that killed and stoned the prophets, the same Jerusalem that Jesus told so many parables about, like, like the landowner who sent his son to collect the, the harvest and his son was killed, right? The same Jerusalem that Jesus, after he had turned and when he was coming into the city, said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you to myself. Jerusalem, you who stones the prophets. We also know from yesterday, we talked about this, Mark chapter 8. Um, we know that people were saying all sorts of things about Jesus, like, oh, well, some say he's Elijah. Some say he's one of the prophets like Jeremiah. Peter is showing right at the start that, no, he is a prophet. He's a priest. He's a king. But he is not like Jeremiah. He is not like any of the others that you, Jerusalem, have killed. He's man, and he's God, and he's been accredited not just through words, right? It's not just what Jesus says. He brings up the miracles, the wonders, the signs. Should we just finish the gospel according to John, right? It's the signs. The value of the sign is always in what the sign points to. And Peter says, this is him, and you know about him. And verse 22 says, as you yourselves know. And then he says in verse 23, this man was handed over to you 
by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Y'all, it's pivotal here that we see what Peter's doing. Is he talking to people that literally were, were gathered there around the cross? It, it's, it's feasible, right? It, it's feasible that some of the ones that are here, remember why they're here? They're in Jerusalem because of the Feast of Weeks, right? They're there for a religious celebration. Is it possible that Peter is addressing people that would have been there before at Passover? It's not only possible, it's probable. You know, Passover, Feast of Weeks, majorly, majorly important things. Passover obviously denotes when the angel of death passed over the final plague of Egypt, right? God's people were freed as a result. The Feast of Weeks, remember what this is. This is commemorating when God's people received the law. This is one of the most important times in Jewish history. So, yes, it's feasible that, that the ones that he's talking to would have been there before at Passover when Jesus is crucified. Is it possible that even they could have been some of the ones gathered there with Pilate saying, crucify him? It's, it's possible. Yeah, it, it's not as probable right? Because we know that everybody that was there for Passover wasn't there for the crucifixion. You know, uh, were they actually the ones that nailed his, his hands to the cross and his feet to the cross? No, absolutely not. We know that the Romans took over. So where does Peter get off saying, this Jesus of Nazareth is the one that was sent to you by God and you killed him? Because make no mistake, that's that's what the message is. Jesus is fully God, fully man. Got to be fully man or else he couldn't represent us, right? Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's accredited to you by God. You know who he was. You know the miracles that he did. You know that he's genuine, and yet you killed him. <laughs> Excuse me. How can Peter say these people killed him? Peter doesn't know if everybody there was, was there at the crucifixion. Y'all... What Peter is, is doing here is he's not talking about the physical culpable blame for those who physically killed Jesus. He's talking about this whole business about the man who was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. What Peter is, is really getting into here is the atonement. He's talking about why Jesus did what he did. And why Jesus did what he did is that he was the son of God come to redeem God's people from their sins. And so you see that the ones who are responsible for Jesus's death, y'all, the Romans were the agent here, right? They were the ones that physically did the deed. Certainly the high priest had a hand in it when they cried out, we have no king but Caesar. Right. Judas obviously has something to do with this. He's the one that betrayed Jesus and then they had to arrest him. But y'all, none of that is the reason that Jesus died. The reason Jesus died is for his people. For all those who would trust in him. That's what Peter is getting at. He's saying Jesus came. You knew who he was and you are guilty of his death. I'm guilty of his death. 
you're guilty for his death. Because were it not for our sin, the Lamb of God would have never come. I don't know if you ever looked at it like that, but were it not for our sin, were it not for his love for us, there would be no sacrifice. Jesus wouldn't have died. He died for you. He died for me. But, as Peter said, verse 24, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Why is that? Why could death not hold him? Is it because he's God? I think that has something to do with it. But I think there's something else at work here. Y'all, remember what we find out from the book of Romans. It's the wages of sin that are death. You know, death comes to those who are guilty of sin. That, that's just how this thing works. If you're holy, if you're sinless, you won't die. But we're all sinful. We're, we're born sinful, in fact. I think that the reason, not only because God raised him from the dead, obviously that plays into it. He's 100% man. He's 100% God. Yes. But you all, the reason that death ultimately couldn't hold him is that death had no claim to him. You know, that, there's a lot of different examples for this. I love The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that C.S. Lewis um, book. I love the book. I love the old cartoon put out by the BBC, the new movie. Eh, they kind of butcher it, but most of it's really good. But um, if you recall, if you haven't read the book, you really need to get it. It's a very easy read. But Aslan is the great lion and the king of Narnia. He's a picture of Jesus, right? And Aslan um, ends up making a bargain with the white witch for Edmund. Edmund betrayed his brothers and sisters, and the white witch cited the deep magic that said anyone who was guilty of betrayal, um, she was owed blood. And of course, I'm butchering it now because I don't remember the exact wording. But Aslan spoke with the white witch in private and struck up a bargain, right? And that bargain was that Aslan would offer himself he would go to the stone table and Aslan would be killed for Edmund's freedom. Well, they killed Aslan and then they marched off with their army, the White Witch and her army, to, to crush the rest of Narnia. But the stone table, it broke. Death could not hold Aslan the Great Lion. And when uh, Lucy, oh goodness, and I can't remember her sister's name, um, uh, but but I remember Lucy's name. But anyway, when Lucy and her sister <clears throat> went to Aslan and they wondered what had happened, he said he he said that there I can't remember the terminology. I think he said there was a deeper magic, a deeper magic that the witch didn't know. Previously, when the white witch cited the deep magic, he said, "Do not cite it to me. I was there when it was written." And y'all, it's this beautiful picture of the fact that, that death could not hold Aslan because he was guiltless. And so the stone table cracked and everything was turned around. Y'all, that's what the atonement is. Jesus died. He took the wages of sin that he had never earned. And so, therefore, sin could never hold him. And as a result, atonement was accomplished. All of our sin was placed on him and all of his righteousness could be placed on us. That's why the grave couldn't hold him. 
Verse 25, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your holy one see decay. This is Jesus crying out to the Father, right? Reflected in by the psalmist. And it's true. Jesus was the Holy One, is the Holy One, and death has no claim over that which is holy. Verse 28, you have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, verse 29, this is Peter addressing them again. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. You see what, what Peter's doing here? He's quoting the psalmist, right, about the oath that God would never let his holy one see decay. And then Peter says, David obviously wasn't talking about himself because his tomb is here, right? You, you know that he died and he stayed dead. But David wrote about the one that he was told about in the oath, the promise that God made. Verse 30, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. You know, this is the paradigm. This is the whole business of it. Jesus, God and man. Jesus, accredited by God through the signs, the miracles and wonders, and you know it. And then you killed him, but the grave couldn't hold him. And your great King David even looked forward, prophesying about Jesus, saying in, in the Psalms what he was really writing about there. Psalm 16, what David was really writing about there was Jesus all along, that he couldn't be kept in the grave, but instead he would rise. And in rising, he has been exalted to that which he has been all along. Peter has laid all of this out for the people there. Verse 34, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for, my, for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Y'all, what Peter has done here, is he's told the people, the crowd, exactly who Jesus is. They might have missed it before, but they don't, they're without excuse now, you see. That, in part, is what preaching is. Remember, we tell the truth for two reasons. Number one, so the people will hear the truth, be transformed by the truth, change and lie to the truth. Number two, because truth stands as an indictment at the last day. 
Peter has told the truth about Jesus. And he said, all these things that you read in the Psalms, remember, Psalm book was, was the song book for ancient Israel. When you gather together at the synagogue to worship and you sing the Psalms, they're all written about Jesus and you killed him. And he's at God's right hand right now. And he's going to judge. That is Peter's message. Now, tomorrow, we're going to see how the people respond. We're going to see what they do. But what about you? Understanding this now, that we're not off the hook for Jesus' death. You might say, I'm a Roman. I'm not a Jew. Are you a sinner? Then you're responsible, okay? Understanding who Jesus is and was and always will be. What do you do with this reality? that he has been exalted, that he's at the right hand of God. If the answer to that is, well, I believe on the name of Jesus and I'm saved by him. If that's not your answer, we got to work on something, y'all. We got to solve this problem because everything that Peter said is true. Everything that Peter said is applicable to you and to me and to all humankind across all ages. I would cite again Acts 2.21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you know that you don't know Jesus and that you're not trusting alone in him for your salvation, call on the name of the Lord and be saved. But if you have done that, and if you do belong to him, live in light of what's said here. Take heart. Bask in the glory of Christ. Know that he is in charge and that he's working. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you so much for this time that you have given to us today, and I pray your blessings on it. Um, thank you, Father, for your love, for your mercy. Thank you for Jesus Christ, who paid for our sins and is seated at your right hand. Let us trust in him. Let us turn to you again and again, all the while being empowered by your Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we will be back tomorrow morning, and I'll be here at 6 a.m. Until then, I hope that you have a fantastic Tuesday, a fantastic Pi Day. Hey, before you know it, St. Patrick's Day is coming. Anyway, um, thanks very much for being here. Take care.